0: Well, thanks, Sarah Beth, and uh, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you here, uh, Medina East at the 10 o'clock service. I um, just want to reiterate one of the things that Sarah Beth mentioned. That orange night that's coming up, I just want to encourage you that uh, if you're a person that's been coming around Medina for a while, if you love Jesus and you're not connected and serving yet, this is a phenomenal opportunity to jump into that. And uh, if you don't know much about Power Kids at all of our campuses, uh, at Grace Church, we, we view what we're doing with our children not simply as childcare. Um, we actually really, really heavily believe in investing in the next generation, and so we put a lot of emphasis on children, on students, on college students, and pour a lot of energy into those things. And so if you're a person like uh, Sarah Beth that's not connected, that loves Jesus, if you want to hear some more about uh, kind of the how, the what, the why behind our children's ministry, kind of get the vision for that. Uh, I would encourage you to come to that Orange Night, RSVP RSVP for that, there's some information for you in your programs and you can do that, we'd love to connect with you and uh, and you can check that out. Uh, But as as Sarah Beth was saying as well, we are in a series called Far From Normal. Uh, This is now the third week in this series and as you can probably tell just from the title of the series, uh, what we've been doing is we've been spending eight weeks in the book of Acts. So this is an eight week series, this is the third part of that. And uh, if you're not a Bible person, if you've never heard of the book of Acts, the book of Acts is actually one of several books that's in the Bible. It's the fifth book of the New Testament. And uh, if you have never read the book of Acts, I'm just telling you, it's incredible. It is just an awesome, awesome book. And uh, that's partly why we're going through it. But I would encourage you that if you've never read the book of Acts, that maybe you would just do that. We actually have a reading plan for you. You can jump in and start reading the book of Acts today if you want to. But, man, just what a tremendous, tremendous uh, book of the Bibles. We've been journeying through it together. Um, If you are new with us this morning, if uh, if you're a guest with us, once again, man, just thanks for being here. We're just glad you're able to come out and check us out. We hope that you get a chance to meet some people. uh, Before you jet out today, we hope you get a chance to connect with some people in the cafe, get that free gift we talked about. But I will say that if at any point today... Anything we say causes some questions or maybe is intriguing to you, I'd encourage you to go to our website, graceohio.org, or you can go to our podcast and subscribe to it. And you can listen to the messages, uh, the past two messages of the series. I think that'll probably help you get some bearings for what we're talking about with the book of Acts. But uh, just to kind of give you sort of in a nutshell what the series is really all about, really what we've been saying is if you could summarize the entire book of Acts, really what the book of Acts is all about is it's about the Holy Spirit. That's what we've been saying. The book of Acts is really about what does the Holy Spirit, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, look like in the life of a person who follows Jesus? I know not everyone in this room follows Jesus, but we said, what, what should that look like? If a person is empowered with the Holy Spirit, what should a church look like if they're empowered with the Holy, with the Holy Spirit as well? And that's what the whole book of Acts is about. Now, I know for some of you, When I say the Holy Spirit, that that might cause some flags in your mind. There's some strange pictures that come to your mind, some strange experiences that come to your mind. If you have questions about that, if you're looking for clarity on who the Holy Spirit is and what he does, once again, I'd encourage you to listen to the past couple of messages where we kind of touch on some of that. But really, the big idea of this series for us has really been this. We've been saying that with the Holy Spirit, that that when the Holy Spirit enters a person's life, for those of us who follow Jesus, that he kind of redefines normal that, uh, that there, there's changes that are made as a result of the Holy Spirit. And so here's the big idea for the whole series. For the whole series, we've basically been saying this, that the Holy Spirit makes the extraordinary ordinary. That's kind of the statement that we've been saying every week as we've been studying the book of Acts, that with the Holy Spirit, that he makes the extraordinary ordinary, that he kind of redefines normal for a person who begins to follow Jesus. And so we said, really, when you look at the book of Acts, what you really see is you sh- you're, we're seeing a picture of what the normal Christian life should look like And so it's because of that that what we've been doing is each week we've been going through different selections to the book of Acts, just kind of key passages, and we've been asking three questions. So we'll read a passage in the book of Acts and we'll ask these questions. Question number one, with the Holy Spirit, what should be normal? For those of us who follow Jesus, once again, I know not everyone in the room follows Jesus, but for those of us who do, what should be normal? That's question number one. The second question we've been asking quite simply is this, what tends to be normal? What tends to be normal? In 21st century America, in our experience, what tends to be normal? And the last question that we've been asking, quite simply, is if there's a difference between those two things, what should be normal, what tends to be normal, then why? And how do we get back to normal? If we're far from normal, how do we get back to normal? That's kind of what we've been doing. So today, we're going to continue in this. We're going to look at Acts chapter 4. I just want to encourage you, if you have your Bibles, take them with me. And go ahead and get to Acts chapter 4 right now, if you can. And um, I will just say that if you did not bring a Bible with you this morning or if you don't own a copy of a Bible, that's totally cool. We have some for you. I want you to grab those. Take those black Bibles. They should be in the chairs in front of you. And you can turn to page 760 in those Bibles. We're going to find Acts chapter 4. And I just encourage you to flip there. And let me just say while you're flipping there that if you are a, uh, a guest with us and you don't own a Bible, like if you just flat out don't have one, uh, would you do me a favor? Would you just take one and uh, make it a gift from us to you? Write your name in it. And uh, we think it's so important that you have a Bible. We hope you feel welcome here. And uh, we think it's really important that you have a Bible, so you can just take one it's on us. And Acts chapter 4 is where we're going. And as you guys are flipping there as well, let me just give you some background. So last week we were in chapter 2. This week we're in chapter 4, so obviously we missed chapter 3. So let me summarize for you what happens in Acts chapter 3. So the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 3 that Peter and John, these two guys who were apostles of Jesus, they were disciples of Jesus, we are told that one day they go to the temple to pray. So these guys were still, they were Jewish guys, so they were going to the temple, which would have been in that time kind of the religious hub of their culture. They go to the temple to pray, and the Bible says as Peter and John are going to the temple to pray, they encounter a beggar. So there's this guy that's begging for money, and the Bible tells us that this beggar was lame from birth, meaning he could not walk from the time he was born. Now later we're going to find out this guy was about 40 years old. And so I just want you to think about it. This this lame beggar, he would have been uh, kind of like a permanent fixture in that society. Everyone would have known this guy. Uh, He would have constantly been begging outside of the temple. So Peter and John are walking to the temple. They're going there to pray. And the Bible says they see this, this lame beggar. And Peter looks at the guy and he says, I want you to look at me. Right? And so the beggar looks at Peter in the eyes. And Peter makes this unbelievable statement. He says to him, silver and gold I do not have, is what he says. He says, but what I do have I give to you. And then he says, by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And I mean, if you haven't read Acts 3, you have to. It's awesome. Because the Bible says that this guy, who had been lame for 40 years, gets up, leaps to his feet, and starts walking. And I mean, this is an all-out, full-blown hallelujah miracle. Thing just happens. Guy gets up and walks. And, and, and the Bible tells us that this happened In public. And so Peter and John did this in the midst of a bunch of people. And so naturally, everyone, they would have known this guy, they all gathered around and they're all like, What happened? This is crazy. This is amazing, you know? And they're all watching this and they're praising God. So Peter sees the opportunity, right? And the Bible tells us that Peter starts preaching a sermon. He starts telling people about Jesus, starts telling about how Jesus died for their sins and how they can have the forgiveness of sins through Jesus. He begins preaching a sermon. The Bible tells us that everyone's into it. Everyone keeps listening and everyone's taking notes and everyone's intentively engaged in the sermon that Peter is giving. And, and the Bible says that everyone's real excited except for one group of people. And I'm sure you can guess who they are. The Bible tells us the religious leaders, the temple leaders. And they see Peter and John preaching and the Bible says that they don't like it so they interrupt Peter and John and they throw them in prison and they await a trial. And so this is where I want to pick it up. I want, to, I want to pick it up at the trial of Peter and John. All right. So remember, they just got thrown in prison. And now they've spent an entire night in prison. And now this is where we're going to pick it up in verse 5. So look at verse 5. It says, the next day, so remember, they spent the whole night in prison. So the next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. So the Bible tells us that all the rulers and leaders and elders, they called together kind of all of the, the head honchos, all the big dogs of the religious sphere, and they pulled them all together. So, so who would have been in on that meeting? Well, the Bible actually gives us a list of some of the guys who were there. Notice first in verse six, it says, Annist, the high priest, was there, to which some of you are like, yeah, I don't know who that is. And, uh, and let me just tell you that if you were a, for you and I, we read this and we're like, I, I have no idea who that guy is. But for the first century reader, who this was originally intended for, when they read that, they would have been, it would have elicited a strong response. They would have gasped, right? They would have been like, Annas, <gasps> no! That's what they would have done, right? So, so let's just try this again. All right, I'll read it. Ready? The next day the rulers and the elders and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Ready? Annas, the high priest, was there. <laughs> exactly, right? And, uh, and the Bible tells us, why, why is this such a big deal? Well, here's why, okay? Um, some of you might actually remember that name. The name of Annas we see in uh, John chapter 18 Annas was the high priest who was responsible, partly, for the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that Jesus stood before Annas. Annas was the one who had Jesus smacked in the face. He was the one who had Jesus bowed and sent on in his trial. So, so when we're talking about Annas, we're talking about a high, powerful religious leader, one of the guys who is directly responsible for the death of Jesus Christ. Okay, so Annas is a big deal. So the Bible says, look, it says Annas, the high priest, was there. Look at this. So it was Caiaphas. I know, right? And who is Caiaphas? Well, Caiaphas, man, again, big deal. Matthew 26, we see him. He was part of the, the whole trial with Jesus as well. Caiaphas was partly responsible for the, res- for the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us Caiaphas was the one that when Jesus said he was the son of God, he tore his clothes, which was a symbol of calling it blasphemy. He was partly responsible for this. Look at this. So it says Annas, the high priest, was there. So is Caiaphas... So it was John and Alexander. Oh. Yeah, we actually don't know anything about those guys. So <laughs> I don't know why you're gasping. But anyway, all right, so they're, they're probably a big deal. So all these guys come together. The Bible says there's a bunch of other people there. And so these, all these guys collectively come together. They get Peter and John, verse 7. It says, they had Peter and John brought before them, and they began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? I just I want you to get a picture in your mind of how high the pressure was in this circumstance. In the Bible, it says in the NIV, the translation that we're using right now, it says that Peter and John were brought before them. Uh, but there's probably a better way to translate that. Some of you have the ESV. It says that Peter and John were brought in their midst. The NASV, if you have the New American Standard, it actually puts it probably more accurate. Uh, it says this. It says that Peter and John were put in the center. So, so this is the picture, all right? Just get it in your mind. Imagine the pressure. Peter and John, who just performed a miracle in the name of Jesus Christ, are now standing in a circle, encircled by the most high, powerful leaders of their time who were responsible for crucifying Jesus Christ. These leaders were the guys who dedicated their time and energy and effort. They did not rest until Jesus was dead. They wanted to silence the message of Jesus. And so now Peter and John are standing here, They are surrounded by this big group of people, and they are demanding a response. By what name and what power did you do this, right? High, high, high pressure. How do you think these guys are going to react? How do you think they're going to react? How are they going to react? Well, let's just pause there for a second. You know, it's interesting. When I think about high pressure situations and I think about Peter and John, historically speaking, I don't know if you guys remember in the Gospels, these guys usually don't do too good under pressure. Not too good under pressure, especially Peter. We've seen Peter under pressure before, haven't we? You guys can probably think of a few examples where we've seen Peter under pressure. Here's one. You guys remember back in Matthew chapter 16 when Jesus was walking on the water? How crazy was that, right? Jesus was walking on the water, and the Bible says the disciples saw him, and they were scared because they thought he was a ghost. And then you guys remember what happened? Jesus said, don't be afraid, guys. It's just me. And you guys remember what Peter said? Peter was like, well, if it's you, Jesus, then just tell me to come out, and I'll come join you. And you remember Jesus is like, come on out, Peter. The water is fine. And so Peter gets out of the boat, right? And he starts walking on the water. He actually starts doing it. And then the Bible says that he sees the waves and he sees the wind. He starts freaking out and he starts to sink. And so he starts crying. He's like, Jesus, help me. And so Jesus grabs Peter, picks him up, and he says, Peter, you have little faith, man. And, and look, we've seen Peter under pressure. He doesn't do too good. And there's another circumstance in Matthew 26. You guys remember Jesus was arrested Peter went to the courtyard, and he was in the courtyard. He was scared because he didn't know what was going to happen. Jesus was arrested now. He had no idea what to do. And the Bible says a little slave girl came up to him, so intimidating, came up to him, and she was like, hey, weren't you the guy with Jesus? And he's like, no, I wasn't with Jesus. I don't know what you're talking about. And the Bible says another little slave girl came up to him. She's like, I know you were the guy with Jesus. I recognize you. And he said, no, I am not the man you're talking about. And then the Bible says a few others came up and they were like, you have to be the guy. You look just like him. And Peter, do you remember the Bible says he started to call down curses. And then he, he said, I swear to you, I don't even know the man. That's what the Bible said, right? So, so Peter, under pressure, not too good. When Peter's under pressure, he's either sinking in the water or he's cussing out servant girls. Doesn't fare too well for Peter. Well now, I mean, this is real pressure. This isn't like a couple of servant girls. These are the guys that killed Jesus, And so what's he going to do? What's he going to do? Watch verse 8. Then Peter, check this out, filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh Aha. Something's different now. Filled with the Holy Spirit. He said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called into account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who is lame and we're being asked how he was healed. I love that, by the way. Isn't that a great response? He's like, rulers and elders, the reason we're on trial is because we helped a guy who couldn't walk, walk. You kind of catch the sarcasm in there. It's like, if that's what you guys have a problem with, all right, and you want to know by what name he was healed, look what he says, then know this, verse 10, you, he says you can know this, and all the people of Israel. He's like, I don't just want you to know, I want the whole world to know. I don't care who knows. I'll shout it from the rooftops if you want to hear it completely unashamed. It's like all of Israel will know. Check this out. Man, this is so specific. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He's like, let's just get this clear. No no room for ambiguity. Jesus, not just any Jesus, Jesus the Christ and in case you forgot, the guy from Nazareth. Jesus Christ of Nazareth. So specific, right? And then watch what he says next. Oh my goodness. He says, whom You crucified Peter. You did not just say that. Yeah, he totally just said that. (laughs) He's like, remember, you guys killed him a few months ago. Remember that? You you crucified. Whoa, watch this. But whom God raised from the dead. This, it's that this man stands before you healed. Then in verse eleven, he says, "This Jesus is is the stone you builders rejected." He has become the cornerstone. Some of you are like, what's that all about? What is that whole stone thing about? Well, you might notice in your Bible, at least in my Bible, that little passage is indented. The reason it's indented is because it's actually a quotation in the Old Testament. And there's a lot to say about that. It's, it's, it's uh, quoting from Psalm 118. And there's a lot to say, but let me give you the abridged version of it. So basically in Psalm 118, it is a messianic prophecy, which means it is foreshadowing the Messiah. And what it says is, is it says when the Messiah comes, the religious leaders will reject him. And so here, Peter is saying, Jesus was the Messiah, but you guys rejected him. You crucified him, is what he says. I mean, geez, just the courage of his words. Then look at this, verse 12. By the way, if you're looking for a good verse to memorize, yeah, verse 12 is a good one. Look at this. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Geez, man, you know, I read this. I read this response. I don't know about you guys, but I'm like, Whoa. Peter, where did that come from? I did not know you had it in you, man. You know, the Peter that we know from the Gospels, is, he's, the, he's, the, he's impulsive. He folds under pressure. But now, man, we, characteristically, we have a different Peter. He is acting entirely different. I mean, such courage that he has to stand up before these men and to speak these words. Where did that come from? What has changed in him Well, as I said, if you look back at verse 8, it just tells us. It tells us flat out. The writer of Acts wants us to know what the difference is. Look at verse 8 again. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. And it was the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit was empowering Peter to speak with this courage. It was empowering him to act in this way. And you know what? Some of you, if you know your Bibles at all, you, you might remember that Jesus actually predicted this. Jesus actually said this would happen. Let me just show you Luke Luke chapter 12, verse 11, this is what Jesus said to his disciples. He said, when you're brought before the synagogues, the rulers and authorities, which, by the way, is exactly what's happening to Peter and John, they were brought to the synagogues before the rulers and authorities. Here's what Jesus said. Do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. You know, I can't help but wonder, if, for Peter, if these words of Jesus were going in his mind as he was sitting in this scenario. He's like, wait a minute, Jesus said this would happen. Jesus would said this would happen. He said the Holy Spirit would help me, and he spoke in such a way. So the Holy Spirit's what's different here. So, so here's the real question then. Right? The real question is, what, what then did the Holy Spirit do? So the Holy Spirit's there. What is he producing in Peter? Well, I think the next verse gives us a lot of clarity on that. Look at verse 13. When they, the religious leaders, saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. And they were astonished, that, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Man, that's just a cool verse. That's just a cool verse. The Bible says that these guys, when they saw that Peter and John were unschooled, normal guys, they had been with Jesus, they were astonished. And what were they astonished with? Well, I want you to notice the word there. The, the word that they're astonished with is courage. Courage. Some of you have different translations that says Boldness. Boldness. That's the idea. That's the big idea, right? Remember, we're asking three questions. What's the first question? With the Holy Spirit, what should be normal? Well, let me just tell you. With the Holy Spirit, what should be normal according to Acts chapter 4? Here it is. You ready? Boldness. Boldness. Uh, For those of us who follow Jesus, if we are empowered, and I know not everyone in the room follows Jesus, but for those of us who do, if if we are empowered by the Holy Spirit, what is one of the evidences that that's happening? Boldness. What does God want for you if you're a follower of Jesus? Boldness. The book of Proverbs says that the, bold, that the godly are as bold as lions. Right? This is what God desires for us. Now look, I know when I say that, when I say boldness, there's a myriad of images that probably come to your mind and a myriad of ideas that probably pop into your mind when I say that. And I just want to argue with you that I think, at least for me, that many of the images that come to my mind when I say boldness are actually inaccurate. And so let me, let me tell you what I'm thinking. When I think of boldness, just myself, what I tend to think of is I tend to think of abrasive, bossy, loud. Um, I tend to think of I'm going to get up and I'm going to shout it out and I don't care who hears it. I'm just going to shove it down your throat whether you like it or not. That's what I tend to think of when I think of boldness. And maybe you do too. I don't know, but that's the way I think of boldness. And when I think of boldness in that way, and I, I kind of apply it to Christianity, I think what that amounts to in my thinking is I tend to think of the guys who will stand up in the corners of the streets and and yell out to people or will protest. I think of the guys at the ball games. You know, if you go to see the Browns play or if you go to a game, there's always that guy, right, that's shouting to everyone, you're going to go to hell, and, you know, you need to turn, you need to repent, just get up and just shout it out, and they don't care who hears it. And a lot of times I think when we read that, we're like, is that what we're talking about when we're talking about boldness? The the first picture that came in my mind when I was thinking about this was... um, I lived in Chicago for about five years, and when I lived in Chicago, I was, uh, I remember one day in particular that I was riding home from work, and I was riding home on the L train. So I get on the L train, and it's during rush hour, everyone's coming home from work, so everyone is totally tired, and, uh, and they're checked out, so everyone's got on their headphones, listening to their iPods, and everyone's reading books, and for the most part, the train is just quiet, right, and everyone just wants to get home, get the day over with, the train is packed, so we're all kind of shoved in there, just look, kind of wanting to get home, And I remember at one particular stop, there was this guy that got on the train. And he had a Bible in one hand, and he had some pamphlets in another, right? And I was like, oh, geez, I know where this is going. And so, sure enough, gets on the train, the door's shut, the guy starts pacing up and down the aisle of the train. And I mean, he starts, I don't mean talking, I mean screaming. And he's going, you're all going to hell, everyone's going to hell. And he's like... God hates the adulterer. God hates licentiousness. God hates homosexuality. God hates, and it's just a list of what God hates. I mean, just some of the most, just unbelievably, like, cringe-inducing things that he was saying. And, and it was interesting for me. I'm watching the train of people, and clearly everyone's annoyed, and myself included. I'm annoyed, too. And it was interesting just to watch how things escalated Because at first, one of the guys that was on the train just said, hey, could you please just stop? He's like, we're all just, we just want to go home, just trying to read my book. Would you please just stop? And of course, for this guy, that was like gas on the fire, right? So he just goes even more. He's like, repent! And I mean, it's the same message over and over. He's saying the same thing over and over again, right? And then it got kind of funny, and maybe not funny, probably sad is probably the better word, but it was sort of funny. One of the people on the train, the people on the train started to, Uh, getting in a debate with this guy. Of course, he wasn't listening, but they started to quote scripture to him, which I thought was so funny because I'm like, I don't even know if these people follow Jesus or not, but they're quoting scripture. And so one guy was like, the Bible says to love your neighbor. Uh, Do you want me to come scream at you? And everyone's like, yeah, you know, on the train. And this guy's just, repent, repent. And then I'll never forget this one guy. This is so funny. He's like, the Bible says to speak the truth in love. A-hole, you know. (laughs) I was just like, that is so funny. That's funny. I care who you are. That's pretty funny. And, and I think for some of us, when we think of boldness, we're like, is that what I'm supposed to do? Like, am I just supposed to go out and tell people how it is? And is that what it means? And I just want to argue that's not at all what it means. Listen, boldness has nothing to do with the volume of your voice. And biblical boldness has nothing little to do with your tone. As a matter of fact, if you want to know the tone in which boldness is to be proclaimed according to scripture, I could tell you with relative certainty that I know exactly how Peter said these words. I know the tone in which Peter said these words. And you're like, how can you know that? I can tell you with a fair amount of certainty because the guy who said these words, Peter, he wrote a book. And he actually told us the tone in which we are to say these words. And let me just share it with you. First Peter 3.15. fifteen. First Peter 3.15, here's what he says. Peter, the guy who spoke just now, said, but in your hearts... Set apart Christ as Lord. In other words, make Jesus the highest priority in your life, right? And he says this because he knows this. He knows that when Jesus is the highest priority in your life, it's going to change the way you live and it's going to cause people to ask you questions. So this is what he says. Always be prepared then to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Get ready to answer with boldness. But watch this next part. Here's the tone. But do this with gentleness, and with respect. Not condescending, arrogant, I'm going to shove this down your throat whether you want to hear it or not. That is not what boldness is at all. So the question then is this. Well, then what is boldness? Help, give me a definition. What is boldness? Well, I'll give you a definition. I'll get it to you right from the Bible. All right? The word courage or the word boldness that's used here literally comes from a Greek word which comes from two, uh, two root words. And the root words literally mean this. Okay? Uh, in your notes there, I kind of put it here to you. It literally means this. It means all speech. Basically, it means this. It means to say everything. It means to leave out nothing. That's the idea. Basically, it's to speak the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. That's the idea. Here, here's the definition in the Greek. It, it means this. Unreservedness in speech. Openness, frankness, without concealment without ambiguity, it's direct communication that's rooted in a lack of fear. That's what boldness means, okay? It's not arrogant, it's not condescending, it's not yelling, it's not screaming. Look, it's just confident. It's just certain. It's, I'm not, af- I'm not afraid to say the whole thing. I'm just gonna tell you the reason why. That's what it is, that's what we're talking about when we're talking about boldness. I know for me, when I think about unreservedness in speech and I think about this definition of boldness, you know, the first thought that comes to my mind is actually children. I think of kids, because kids, if you ever watch them, they, they are too naive or maybe too innocent, I don't know, probably more innocent than anything, um, when they speak to people to, to try to change who they are for other people. They don't do that. I know I have a five-year-old and a three-year-old, and um, they are extremely outgoing. They're, they get it from their mom, but they will go up to anybody, anywhere, and tell them anything with no reservation at all. I mean, you talk about unreservedness, they will give you, they will just freely give you any information you want to know about anything. And, and of course, for me, it's kind of embarrassing, but it's also pretty funny, and it makes for some good sermon illustrations. And so uh, I, my, my boys, they will go up, like we'll be at the store or something, and there'll be a person, like a stranger, they'll just go up to the stranger, and with, they won't even introduce themselves. They'll just go up and they'll be like, I'm five years old. And the stranger's like, oh you, oh, yeah, you're five years old? Yeah, I had a birthday on August 31st. You did? Mm-hmm. Yep. They'll just tell you any information about anything. I drew a picture of a pumpkin yesterday. <laughs> Is that right? Mm-hmm. Was it good? Yep. <laughs> you know? Th- and they'll give you, even, like, even if it's embarrassing, doesn't matter. They'll just give you any information. They'll go up to someone, I'm wearing Batman underwear. <laughs> By the way, that's me impersonating my son. That's not a confession or anything. <laughs> Right? They'll go up, I peed my pants yesterday. I'm a big boy. I peed my pants yesterday. I mean, there's no shame. Unreservedness. This is who I am. And I just think, when I watch my kids, I just think, how funny would it be if we did that as adults? How funny if I'm just at Bueller's or something, I just go up to somebody. I'm just like, hey, I'm 33 years old. <laughs> <laughs> what would you do? <laughs> All right. <laughs> you know. I got an oil change yesterday. <laughs> so dumb. <laughs> it's funny. But this is, I think what we're talking about, boldness, man. That's what we're talking about. Without the without without the awkwardness, right? But it's this, it's this, I'm just, I'm just gonna tell you how it is, man. I'm not scared about what you think of me. I'm not reserved, I'm not being arrogant or pushy or I'm just certain, man. And and look, I, I love this because here you got Peter, you got Peter and John, right? And the Bible tells us that they're surrounded by the group of men who are responsible for killing Jesus Christ. Peter and John just performed a miracle in the name of Jesus Christ. And they're asking, by what name did you perform this miracle? Now, I don't know about you, but I, for me, I can sympathize with these guys. I would be very tempted, wouldn't you, to want to maybe cater my answer in a way that maybe told some of the truth, but maybe not all of the truth. Like, I wonder if for Peter and John, they could have easily just said, well, you know, uh, it was a one-time incident. We'll never do it again. it's kind of crazy and stuff. But, uh, you know, we're glad he's walking, and uh, that's it. They could have easily just kind of got their way out of it. They could have easily said something like, well, you know, we're really into social justice, and we're kind of on a campaign. We want to end lameness, so we healed this guy, and, I don't, you know, I don't know. And that's, he's good now, and we're good, and everything's good. It's all social justice. It's all about social justice. They could have said that. And would that have been true? Well, I mean, yeah, kind of, a little bit. But that's not the whole truth, right? That's not, the, that's not the real truth. The real truth is, it's Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That's how this happened. It's because of Jesus. Like I, I know the, the book of 1 Peter says, set apart, set apart Jesus as Lord. Make him the first in your life. And Peter understands that when we do that, it's going to require our lives to look different. And because they look different, people are going to look at us strange. And here's what Peter says. He says, when you answer them, answer with boldness, but with gentleness and respect. Look for some of us, my guess is maybe like Peter, you either have family members, you have coworkers, maybe you have friends, and they're either not into Jesus, or maybe they're anti Jesus. I don't know. Maybe they maybe they look at you going to church and life group and they just laugh at it. They think it's they think it's regressive or they think it's you know, narrow or something, and they they just look at it and they laugh at it. You might be tempted, and I only know this because I I feel this way too. You might be tempted to to cater your answer or limit your answer in such a way that you won't necessarily offend them, right? And so and so someone might come up to you and say, "Hey, man, you know, we used to all go out and get wasted together. You're not doing that with us anymore. Like, what's the deal with that? I notice you only limit yourself to a couple, and you won't you won't go all the way with us. How come?" You're not doing that. You might be tempted to say something like this. Well, you know, the wife, she don't want me to drink anymore, and so i got to stop, you know. And You might be tempted to be like, well, you know, I'm on a new diet, and i got to watch the carb intake, you know, trying to watch the beer belly. And look, are those things true? I mean, yeah, kind of, right? But dude, if you're a follower of Jesus, come on, let's be real. The real reason is because you started following Jesus. And what boldness is, is it's just telling the whole truth. Someone's like, man, how come you're, you're not doing what we do? Well, you, want, you really want to know? Be honest with you, man, it's because I'm following Jesus Christ. And listen, I would encourage you, don't simply say God, don't simply say church, don't say religion, okay? Those things are acceptable most of the time in our culture. Say the name of Jesus. There's power in that name. You guys know this. When you say the name of Jesus Christ, it elicits an entirely different response. That's why Peter, he's like, you want to know which name this happened by? Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That's who. Tell people, Jesus, some of you right now in your marriage, people look at you and they're like, why do you live your marriage so different than everyone else's? It just looks so strange. Some of you right now, you're going through a hard time in your marriage, and people are looking at you going, why don't you just give up on your marriage? It would be so much easier just to quit, right? And, and you're like, well, you know, I made a commitment, till death do us part, and, you know, I'm just trying to be a good spouse. Is that true? I mean, yeah, kind of. But look, if you're a follower of Jesus, that's the real reason, right? Well, tell them. The whole truth. unreserved. You really want to know why? I follow Jesus. And I believe that the picture he has for marriage is higher than the picture that our culture does. Not that I'm not being arrogant or pushy. I'm not telling you that you're doing it wrong. I'm not trying to shove anything down. I'm just telling you the truth. Right? Boldness. Some of you in your business, at your company, people will notice that you don't cut corners, that you don't fudge numbers, that you file your tax returns. Right? And they're like, man, why do you do that? You know, it'd be so much easier if you just did it this way. You could, you could easily experience more success if you just lied a little here or fudged a little there or did a little here. And, and you might be tempted to say, well, you know, I'm trying to be a good moral person, I want to be ethical, I want to set a good example. Like, is that true? I mean, yeah, right? Of course it's true, but like, partially tell them the whole truth. Because if you're a follower of Jesus, what's the real answer? Here's the real answer you really want to know why? Follow Jesus Christ, man. And I actually believe that one day I'm going to stand before God and give an account to him. I believe that when no one else is watching, he's watching. And as a way of serving him and loving him, I want to honor him by living this way. For some of you, you have people that come up to you and they ask you, why do you raise your kids that way? It's so different than the way other people raise their kids. You might be tempted to say, well, I just have strong convictions about trying to instill good values in my kids. And Is that true? Yeah, okay, yeah. But is that the real reason? I'll tell you, Jesus is changing me. And, and listen, you go on and on with example after example. What is boldness? Here's what boldness is. Boldness is telling the whole story. It's all words. It's unreservedness. It's not arrogant, not pushy. It's not loud. It's not boisterous. It's gentle and it's respectful, but it's honest. Uh, Peter's words, I almost guarantee you, they were gentle and respectful, but do you see how honest they are? Jesus of Nazareth, who you crucified, I mean, that's a big statement that he makes right there. That's the picture that we have of boldness. Here's what I love about boldness, guys. I love about boldness is that boldness is something that is blessed by God. God promises us by his Holy Spirit that for those of us who follow him, that he will bless boldness. One of the things that you might not know about this passage is that as a result of this, The Bible tells us that 2,000 more people accepted Jesus and followed him as a result of what happened here. Why is that? Is that because Peter and John were so awesome and their speech was just so incredible? They were so intellectual and winsome and they had the greatest personalities. Is that what, why? No, no, it's because God blessed Their boldness. In fact, one of the most encouraging verses, I think, is in verse 13. If you look at it again, it says, They saw the courage of Peter and John. They realized that they were unschooled and ordinary men. They're like, these guys are nothing special. They're nothing special. They're unschooled and ordinary. Do you know the word ordinary? The Greek word that's used there is the word idios. Guess which English word we get from that? (laughs) Idiot. So these guys were... In shock. Why? Because they're like, where did these idiots get that boldness? And look, I'm just telling you, if God can use knuckleheads like Peter and John in such powerful ways, He can use an idiot like me. And He can use you too. He can use us. He blesses boldness. The Bible says, I like the way Gary Delashmet, he's a, a pastor and an author, he said it this way He said, The, senior, the, the Holy Spirit is the senior partner in this enterprise. He said, we are the junior partner. Our job is simply to open our mouths and be bold. His job is to produce life change. He does that. And and the awesome part is that God promises that he will bless boldness. Check it out again, verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. (laughs) Watch verse 14. This is awesome. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. I, I love this verse because it says that these guys, these religious leaders, were looking for a reason to arrest Peter and John. They were looking for a reason to continue arguing with them, to debate with them. But the Bible says in verse 14, because the man who had been healed was just standing there. You guys catch that, right? He's standing there. In the Greek, I just want you to know, the word standing, literally in the Greek, means to stand that's what it means. I know you don't get Bible teaching like this everywhere, only here at the Medina East Campus. But it, it, the guy's standing up. You've got to think about this, guys. 24 hours before this, he was not standing, right? He was not a stander. Now he's standing. In fact, my guess is he probably just stood up during this whole meeting. He probably just stood all night, you know? He's probably like, you guys see what I'm doing here? I'm standing, I don't know if you noticed, but I'm standing here. I like to stand. I'm a stander. I do this now. I stand. He probably was just singing every song imaginable that had stand in the lyrics, right? He's probably like, Don't stand so, don't stand so, you know, don't stand so close to me. He's right there in that. He's probably like, I stand with arms high and all. He's like, I can stand. This is awesome, and the Bible says that while they're having this dialogue between Peter and John and these guys, that this whole time, this guy's just standing there. He's just like, hey guys, how's it going? I don't know if you noticed, but I'm standing. That's pretty cool, you know? He's just there, and look, that's just so awesome because the Bible says that as he's standing there, that these guys can say nothing. They have nothing to say. I wrote this down in my notes. If you're taking notes, maybe you want to jot this down too. This is what I put down. Little equation. Unashamed boldness. Plus, unquestionable life change equals undeniable evidence. Man, that's a powerful equation right there. Unashamed boldness plus unquestionable life change equals undeniable evidence. Let me just tell you if God has changed you, if Jesus Christ is working in you, if you're a follower of Jesus, if He's changing attitudes, not perfectly, but increasingly, if He's changing attitudes and behaviors in your life, listen, if you combine that life change with unashamed boldness, oh my. The result is undeniable evidence it is powerful nobody can argue with life change the bible says this man's standing here and no one can argue with it they're like we want to say something we want to do something but we can't compete with this we can't deny this this man has been changed he's standing he wasn't standing before and the bible tells us that so what should be normal with the holy spirit flat out boldness that's what should be normal here's the second question what tends to be normal what tends to be normal. I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on this, I just wanna ask you, for those of you who are followers of Jesus Christ, and I know not everyone is, but if you are, let me just ask you flat out. Is your life currently evidenced by boldness? Do you experience the type of boldness that we're talking about in your life? Because the Bible tells us that the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, one of the, one of the ways that you can tell that you're empowered by the Holy Spirit is that it produces boldness. What about you? are you experiencing boldness here's here's what i found in my experience i found that as it relates to christianity in our culture there tends to be one of two extremes that we we kind of lean towards one extreme is this it's that harsh aggressive shove it down your throat you're going to hell and you know kind of like the chicago the guy in the chicago l train that kind of thing uh, i think that's one extreme in our culture i think the other extreme and probably the more common one is is cowardice I think that for many of us who follow Jesus, honestly, sometimes we're like, well, I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to say anything that's going to step on anyone's toes. I'm just going to quietly live out the... I'm not going to say anything. I don't need to say anything. I can just live it out, and that's the other extreme. We won't say anything. We won't say anything about it. And, and let me just say this, all right? If you're not a Christian, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, let me just speak to you for a minute. I feel like because of those two extremes, I feel like as a, as a Christian, I owe you an apology and as it relates to the harsh belligerent shove it down your throat you're going to hell god hates you all right i just want to apologize for that because unfortunately these people who follow jesus are we're kind of lumped in the same category right and i want to apologize because that message which the sad part is that a lot of what they're saying i agree with i do believe that that there is sin. I do believe that apart from Jesus Christ that there is no salvation. I do believe that eternity is at stake. I do believe that Christ died for you and forgiveness is offered to you. And without accepting that forgiveness, then there's a separation from God. I believe all that. But I believe that that conversation needs to to happen in the context of gentleness and respect. I think that's the way it needs to happen. And so for those of you who are not Christians and you've seen that and you've been put off by that, I just want to apologize to you. And my hope is that when you when you look at this passage, you understand that that's not even biblical. This is not even biblical. But let me say this too: that for those of us who are cowards, and for the times in my life that I'm a coward and I don't speak up, I want to apologize to you too. For those of you who don't follow Jesus, my guess is if you don't follow Christ, that maybe one of the things you have against Christianity is that you don't like the fact that Christians feel like they always need to tell people about Christ and need to convert people to Christianity. That might bother you. It might bother you that Christians want to proselytize, that they don't want to keep their faith to themselves, right? And I understand that, but you got to hear me on this, okay? If I actually believe what the Bible says about Jesus, if I actually think it's true, that there is no other name by which a person is saved, listen, I would argue that I must hate you if I didn't share that with you with boldness, with gentleness and respect, but I must hate you if I'm not going to share with you the greatest gift that's freely available to you. And so I want to apologize to you for both because I think that this is very unloving. I think this is equally as unloving. But the, what's, what's, what's loving we see in this passage is boldness. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus, if, if what should be normal and what tends to be normal, if there's a distance between those two things, maybe for you, you're asking this, you're like, okay, okay, I, I get what you're saying. How do I get that kind of boldness, man? I want that. I want that. I want that. How do I get there? How do I get there? Well, let me just give you a couple things, all right? Uh, obviously, it's the power of the Holy Spirit that causes that. But let me show you two things that Peter did, two things that Peter did that helped cause this boldness. All right? The first thing is this. I want you to notice that he prayed. He prayed. He and John prayed for boldness. In fact, if you just hop down real quick to verse 29, I want you to, this is what happens. The Bible says Peter and John are released from prison. They get out of prison. They go immediately back to the church. They go back to the believers. They tell them what happened. They're like, guys, we were in jail. It was crazy, and we healed this guy, and it was insane. And then, and then Annas and Caiaphas were there, and everyone was like, what? And he's like, yeah. He's like, and we told them about Jesus. And then I want you to notice what they prayed for. They prayed. In verse 29, they said, Now, Lord, consider the threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. See what they prayed? They didn't, they didn't pray, God, keep us safe. God, protect us. God, give us traveling mercies. That's not what they prayed for. God, give us boldness. Give us boldness. And then verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And what was the result? They spoke the word of God boldly. For those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, there's a starting place, man. Let's pray. God, give me boldness. Give me boldness. Like this, gentleness and respect. But, man, boldness. The other thing they did. And here's the second thing, and with this we're finished. The second thing that Peter did was he opened his mouth. He prayed, and then he spoke. And you know, you read Acts chapter four, verse eight, and it says, "Peter, who was filled with the Holy Spirit, said," which meant that Peter opened his mouth. And, and listen, for some of us, we need to pray, but you're. But this is the other thing: you just need to open your mouth and say it, unreservedly speak it. You're like, is it that easy? Yeah. It's, not, it's that simple. Not that easy, but it's that simple. Speak it. I like the way Henry Blackaby put it. He put it this way. This is so good. He said, the Holy Spirit doesn't need to equip you for what you're not going to do. That's a good statement. Let me read it again. The Holy Spirit doesn't need to equip you for what you're not going to do. And, and tragically, you miss out on the joy that he brings. So let the Holy Spirit deal with anything that keeps you from obeying Christ. Here's what God wants for you. If you're a follower, he wants boldness. The Holy Spirit produces boldness. There's a picture for it. We can have it. For empowered by the Spirit. Let's pray. Jesus, I just want to say thank you for your word to us this morning. And uh, man, it's, it's encouraging. It's refreshing. It's challenging. I do pray, God, my, my primary prayer for those of us who follow you, my prayer is for Boldness. Help us to speak boldly, unashamedly, unreservedly about the things, the wonderful things that you've done in our lives. God, help us to to be like Peter and John, who even in the midst of an audience who clearly did not want them to answer the way they did. Lord, they just spoke the truth. I pray that you would help us to do the same thing. God, help us to speak with boldness and get out of the way. Let your Holy Spirit do what only he can do. God, I'm thankful that you In Christ, you were bold for us. Jesus, you stood before the Father and you claimed us as your own. You were not ashamed of us, Jesus. We're sinful, broken people and you died for us. God, you were bold. Jesus, you were bold. You stood on the cross. You saved us from our sins. Lord, you released us from the enemy. You were bold for us. Help us to be bold for you, Jesus, to stand in truth for what you're doing. God, we know you bless it. Lord, for the person that doesn't follow you this morning, God, I I know you love every single one of us. You don't love us because of how good we are. You love us because we're your creation. And Father, I pray that uh, for the person that's following you, that's investigating you, Lord, that you would reveal yourself to those people as well. Help them to come to know you as a God who cares and a God who offers forgiveness because there is no other name under heaven and earth in which we're saved. So I pray we cling to that name. Lord, bless us as we sing together, as we go from this place. Empower us with boldness. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.